So glad that you could be here with us today as we are uh, in our series that we're calling Reset. And this is the last week of this series, and we're learning to trust Jesus's way of life and making it our way to live. And, and uh, last week, Pastor Jeff talked about things like solitude and Sabbath and simplicity and slowing and the idea that we need to, to bring things down to a sustainable pace. And as we relaunch out of this pandemic, it gives us a chance to reset or to reorient our lives. Now, if you missed either message from the series, uh, you can go to Hope's website and uh, follow the media tab, and you'll be able to, uh, to listen to any message there. Or you can uh, follow on Apple Podcasts if, uh, if you happen to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, and you get the latest message sent right to your device. Or you can go to YouTube and watch our message there as well. And all of those links are on our website at meethope.org. I really love the idea for this series that we have this opportunity for resetting our life. And when Pastor Jeff mentioned that uh, two weeks ago, I immediately thought of my iPhone. I know that may sound strange to you, but I, was, uh, I, I thought of the, the first iPhone I ever got. And uh, as soon as I downloaded a bunch of apps and I was all ready to use it, my phone froze. It just worked slow. It wouldn't move quickly for, from one app to the other. And I began to think, this is a total waste. Why do I even have this? So I drove over to the Apple store and I, and, uh, you know, I stomped in there. And this was back when you could just go into a store without an appointment. And I stomped in there and I said, I just got this phone and it doesn't work. And he said, have you reset it? No, I didn't reset it. And he said, well, a lot of times your phone gets all sorts of background applications working at the same time, and it can just overwhelm the phone. So just close all the apps and then reset your phone, start it up again, you know, turn it off and start it back up again, and it will run more efficiently. And that was my thought when we began this reset series. Now, next week, we're in this one-year anniversary when we began the quarantine. I'm sure you've heard that in the news as well. It's hard to believe that it's only been a year, but yet it feels like we've been doing this forever, right? Uh, other times, one year seems like only yesterday. Think about it. Only one year ago, we were learning the phrase social distancing. Now, we know all about it, right? Uh, one year ago, if you were to wear a mask into a store or a bank, they called the police. Now, if you don't wear a mask or uh, in, into the bank, they call the police, right? Uh, if someone had said one year ago that your church would worship and that teachers would teach online, we would have thought, that's crazy, right? Uh, it, it seems like it was just a year ago, but yet it seems like it's been forever, right? Remember when Zoom seemed brand new? Uh, so it's only been a year, and yet it's been a very long year. And so as we begin to emerge from this COVID experience, we are still learning the impact that this cultural phenomenon will have on our world. Uh, and we are still learning the impact this year has had on our lives personally. So just like that iPhone that had too many apps running in the background, or there was just one app that was clogging up the operating system, this year-long experience may give us a chance to orient toward the right goal instead of the wrong goal. We just possibly aren't operating as we should, and it may be time 
for a reset. It may be time to refresh our life. Now, maybe I'm stating the obvious, but, you know, we're living through a world-changing event. Uh, The 2020 pandemic will go down in history as a hinge event. I've heard someone write about it as a hinge event, that the way the world looked before 2020 is not the way the world will look in 2021 and beyond. And so our history is going to hinge on this event. One short year has brought cultural change around the world. And so as the world now moves forward, there are Uh, words that are used, and these words have great intention. Words like intentional. Uh, Words like deliberate. Words like cautious. That as organizations and as, as people move forward into this new world, we need to think with a deliberate tone. We need to think cautiously. At the same time, they're also using words like nimble, that organizations need to be prepared to move and shift because we don't know what this new world is going to look like moving forward. Words like agile and words like flexible. And yet there are still changes that are yet to be discovered. So while you may be tired of hearing the phrase, the new normal, uh, it would be foolish to believe a world event like a global pandemic would not change the world, and it would be foolish to believe that it would not change us. So this is the opportunity to reset our lives. And so as we prepare to move out of this year-long winter storm, as we slowly crack open the door and begin to look out to see what's been going on and what has happened around us, as we move out into this new world to be reoriented and bring direction where we need it most especially when we're most unsure of what might be next. But then that brings to the question, what is the template to follow? This is a brand new world. What is the pattern? Uh, That's why this series, I think, is so important, that this idea of reset is an opportunity to relaunch and to be even closer in our trajectory toward living like Jesus. So today, in a few minutes, what I, in the few minutes we have together, I want to I offer a real simple idea, uh, and it's one, I'll tell you up front, it's one you've heard before, but I want to tease out one little nuance in this idea, and then I want to challenge you to consider it as part of your life. So we're going to read a story from uh, Mark chapter 12, and we're going to jump right into the middle of the story. It's Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31, and uh, it'll be on the screen over my shoulder here, and it begins this way. It says, one of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. Now, like I said, we jumped into the middle of the story. Jesus is in the midst of a debate with some religious leaders and religious scholars, and they're having a theological discussion about, and it's a rather long conversation and debate. So there's one teacher who's listening, and he's observing, and he notices something. He says this. He realized that Jesus had answered well. And so he asked the following question of Jesus. Of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, when the teacher of religious law asked Jesus this question, leave that up there for such a second, folks. He was asking what theme of the Torah is most important to emphasize in my life? 
In other words, of, over, of the over 600 commandments, which is the one that's most important? He really wanted to know, what's Jesus, what's your bottom line? What's your, what's your summary of life? Uh, almost like he was asking, Jesus, what's your life verse? But notice the reason Mark gives for why this man asked Jesus this question. Now go back there. He, he asked him a question. He said, uh, he noticed. Go back. He, one of the teachers of this law, was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well. There was something noticeable, noticeable about Jesus. That there was a way that he talked, that there was a, a way that he walked, the way that he interacted with people. There was a way that he lived his life, and it was noticeable to people. Because Jesus when he came to planet Earth, was introducing this whole new way to be human. A whole new way to interact with other human beings. And he put it on display for everyone to see. And this religious scholar saw that. He realized that Jesus had answered well. And the way Jesus lived was attractive to others. And so while the other men gathered were interested in the debate, this man was intrigued by Jesus. And he was interested in the principles or the principle that guided Jesus' life. And he wanted to know how Jesus lived his life. Now, Jesus' response was sort of a two-part answer. We're going to see it again. It's up on the screen. Jesus replied this way. It says, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. Now this first part, the part I just read, could not be missed, uh, could easily be missed by us in the 21st century, but it could not be missed by someone in the first century. This would be a familiar statement to every Jewish person. Jesus was reciting part of the Shema. Now, what was the Shema? It was a prayer that was said regularly, every morning and every night, and perhaps several times a day. And we're going to talk more about that in a moment. So he says, the most important commandment is this, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. That's the Shema. Then he goes on and says, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Now, in Jesus' day, reciting Shema was this daily renewal of your relationship with God. In some ways, it was like the Lord's Prayer for us today. It was a memorized words that had meaning to us. And if we are not careful, we can read through it very quickly. In some other ways, it was almost like a Pledge of Allegiance as well, which is another memorized thing that we say— it can be meaningful, but if we're not careful, we can run through real quickly just saying the words without realizing the meaning. Whenever a person was reciting the Shema, the person was celebrating God's covenant and God's promise of grace on Israel. And the person was acknowledging an allegiance to God alone, that there was only one God and Yahweh was that God and Yahweh was going to be my God. And it was to accept with your whole life that the kingdom or the reign of God could be your life. Now, expanding on the, on the Shema, Jesus said, our love of God should impact every 
aspect of life. He said uh, to love God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. He said it's, it's this all-encompassing allegiance, this all-encompassing love, that we need to love God with all of our passion. So if we're good at, like Susie, when she's playing the piano, she's not only good at playing the piano, she's not only passionate about playing the piano, but her passion for playing the piano comes out in worship to God. Love God with all of your passion. Love God with all of your prayer, your, your, all of your spirit. Love God with all of your intelligence and love God with all of your energy. Now, love isn't simply this warm and fuzzy feeling when we like someone. Real love involves action. You love someone when you are willing to act in loyalty and faithfulness to them. Love is an act of love. So the Shema was this daily renewal of a person's commitment a person's daily commitment to act in love toward Yahweh with all of my life, again and again and again. And every time it was spoken, every time it was prayed, every time it was offered, it was a way to renew a commitment to God's kingdom, a way to renew God's way for your life. But I mentioned that Jesus answered two parts. Like Jesus often did, he went off script here. He offered a second idea that was connected to the first. Now, the first part we just discussed would not have been a surprise to those listening. Many of the teachers present might have expected his answer and said, yeah, that would be how I would have answered that as well. But this second part would have been quite a surprise to the people uh, who were gathered there for that debate. Jesus said this, it's over my shoulder, the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So Jesus connects our vertical focus with our horizontal focus. In other words, he's saying that loving God is meaningless if that love is not connected to a loving relationship with people. That a loving relationship with God must be nurtured, but then that love excuse me, must flow out to others in response. That loving God without loving others isn't love for either. Now, in our Amazon world that we live in, we want everything quick. And the reality is love doesn't work that way. A vertical love with our God in heaven doesn't work that way. A horizontal love with the people around us doesn't work that way either. I mean, you can't click on love and instantly have it delivered to your cart. Love can't be hurried. Love requires time. It's almost as if it's a daily commitment to God's kingdom in your life. It's almost as if it's a daily commitment to loving God and displaying it by loving others. But loving people is messy because we're all a little annoying. Each of us, we all have those annoying things going on. If you're, if you're worshiping with someone else, we know it's not you. It's the person with you. But each of us is annoying. 
We have opinions and disagreements. We vote differently. We have favorite songs. We have favorite hobbies. We have favorite TV shows. And those aren't the same songs and hobbies and TV shows that other people like. Some of us are sensitive, and we get our feelings hurt easily. And others of us are less sensitive, and we're good at hurting feelings. And somehow those people often marry each other. We're good at creating messes in relationships. And these messes take energy. And these messes take time to fix. And there's no one click to fix it. And some of us need longer to reach a point where we can ask for forgiveness or receive forgiveness. Because the reality is love can't be hurried. It takes years to cultivate healthy relationships. And that's okay. And it's the way that it should be. Because healthy relationships aren't born overnight because love can't be hurried. Because we're all broken people and we are all difficult to love. But what might Jesus have been saying by connecting these two ideas? What was Jesus teaching by connecting the Shema, this vertical allegiance, with horizontal relationships? What if Jesus was suggesting that life itself, all of life, pre-pandemic and even post-pandemic, is all about loving God with every part of you, every day, in response to God's covenant of grace that he's provided for you? What if love for God is best expressed not by the Bible verses you memorize or the prayers that you can pray or the attendance that you may have in your small group? What if love for God is best expressed in loving others? And when I actively pursue a love for God and demonstrate that love for God by the way I treat and love people, then I am wholeheartedly accepting the kingdom of God in my life. And what if I were to do that over and over and over again? What if every day we were to pledge our allegiance to the kingdom of God in my life? And make a decision to love God by loving people. Now, as I said, if you've been coming to Hope, you've heard me, you've heard Pastor Jeff, and you've heard our other pastors talk about loving God and loving people. And like I said, this isn't new material for us. If you've just been worshiping with us just for a few weeks or months, and this is new, I'm so excited that you're hearing this then for the first time. Because what sounds simple is really quite complex. Because loving people, as I said, is hard. And it takes time. It takes a lifetime because we aren't easy to love. And loving God and believing in the covenant of grace that God pours out on us takes a lifetime to understand and to make part of our lives. So I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you in this way as we begin to look out at what post-pandemic world might look like. What if each of us asked this question? 
How would Jesus live if he were me? Now, I know that there's the what would Jesus do from 20 or 30 or 40 years ago, but I want to make it even more personal. How would Jesus live if he were me? What kind of engineer or accountant or teacher would Jesus be? And then when you have that answer, go and be that kind of engineer or accountant or teacher. How would Jesus, the software programmer, or how would Jesus, the financial planner, Love God by loving people. And then go and be that kind of programmer or planner. If Jesus were a business owner, how would his business show a love for God by loving people? And then go and be that kind of business owner. If Jesus worked where you work, how might your work change? If Jesus lived in your home, how might your home change? If Jesus lived in your neighborhood, how might your neighborhood change? And then go and be that change. I mean, let's make it even more personal. Jesus wasn't a parent, but what if he was? Imagine Jesus was the dad to your kids. How would Jesus parent? How would Jesus show God's love by loving my kids? And then let's go and act like that kind of parent. How would Jesus live this life, this post-pandemic life? How would Jesus spend my paycheck? How would Jesus treat my friends? How would Jesus treat my spouse? How would Jesus live if he were me? And then go and be that kind of friend and spouse or person. See, sometimes we make life so complicated, like too many apps open on our phones, and Jesus just made it so simple. When he invited the disciples to join him, he simply said, follow me. He was saying, just do what I do. Just watch me and do what I do. When he was asked the theme of God's word, uh, when this religious leader asked him that question, he simply said, every day choose to love God by loving people. So maybe we just need a reset. You know, like our phones, maybe there's just too many things we have running in the background, too many ideas, too many focuses, too many goals, and maybe we need to reset and get back to what is most important. You know, here we talk about the process of being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ for the sake of others. And that the process of loving God, of loving people, by loving people, that following Jesus, we believe, will look different for for each person as we love God and love people. You know, as we move into the next series next week, we're calling it Forget You. And we'll be looking further at what it means to follow Jesus, how God transforms us and how we play a part in the transformation process. So as we prepare to enter a post-pandemic world, much will change and much is yet unknown. And let us use this time to reset. And here's my quick challenge for you. I want you to take this simple step. It's sort of like saying a Pledge of Allegiance in that it's not a spiritual thing, but yet it can have spiritual uh, implications. I know some of you are watching on your phones and your laptops and your tablets, so I don't want you to do it now. At the end of the message, I want you just to physically reset your phone. Just turn it off and turn it back on 
and just be reminded that while your phone is doing that, that it's just recalibrating and reorienting and putting everything back kind of where it needs to go. And then, and then say, God, that's what I want you to do in my life today. I want to reset. I want to I get things back in order. I want to focus on what's most important, loving God and lo- by loving people. And as you do that, I would pray you'd hear these words that were spoken at the beginning of our series where Jesus said, come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. And you can walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it and learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. So keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Let's pray together. And so God, we thank you for your life and the demonstration it is for us, that God, you lived a fully human life, and you provide us this great example. And so God, as we look at our lives and the things that bring distraction and, and, and confusion to us. God, help us to reorient, to refocus, and God, if necessary, reset, to, to hit the start button, God, and, and let things recalibrate in our heart. Because as we, God, as we move out into this new world, whatever it may look like, we know that people will be desperate to connect with a living God who loves them. And God, they will see that in our lives. They'll acknowledge a difference in our life by the way that we interact with the people around us. And God, I pray that that would be so for each of us, that we would be men and women and boys and girls who look and live like Jesus so that the world would learn of the great love that you have for them. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.